you know, racism, racism is is everywhere in our society. It is we are we, we do operate in a structurally racist uh, world uh, fundamentally. Um, and the charity sector is no different from that. Hello and welcome to the Do One Better podcast. I am Alberto Ligi, your host from London. And as a regular listeners know, the purpose of the podcast is to inspire you to be a bit more philanthropic, to act more sustainably and to embrace social entrepreneurship. Please subscribe to the show. It makes a huge difference. And please tell your friends. Also, it's very much appreciated. Today, we're talking about leadership networks within voluntary organizations, within nonprofits. And we are talking to Vicky Browning, who is the chief executive of Akivo. Akivo is the Association of Chief Executives of Voluntary Organizations. They're based here in the UK. So we're going to be talking a little bit about how they work and their membership base and why it's an interesting outfit to join if you're a CEO or in a leadership position within one of these organizations. We're also going to be talking about tackling racism. It's a report that they are due to publish on the 17th of June. It's called Home Truths. It provides a lot of insight into how this sector is dealing with racism and how it can lead in this space as well. So, Vicky, without further ado, a big heartfelt welcome to the Do One Better podcast. Thank you. Thank you very much for having me. It's an absolute pleasure. Why don't we kick off by hearing a little bit about Akiva? What's the organization all about? Yeah, um, and Akiva is, we're a network, basically. That's our, our, our big USP. We're a network of over 1,400 civil society chief execs and aspiring chief execs um, based in England and Wales. And our membership ranges from uh, charities and social enterprises of all shapes and sizes. We have small organizations uh, working in their local communities. We have large national and international and and household names. Um, So a a real kind of spread of organizations. But the thing that unites us is that we're all leading those organizations. We're all uh, taking the helm and and taking them forward. And as an organization, we're a charity ourselves, and our vision is to see leaders of these organizations making the biggest possible difference. We we believe in a kind of ripple effect of leadership. So if uh, the leader, if we invest in our leaders and we support and champion and challenge our leaders, then they in turn have a kind of transformative energy. They, they um, inspire others, they improve their organizations, and they, that ripples out then to the effect they have on the world. So we believe in a way that Akivo changes the world um, by helping chief executives to be the best they can be so they can have the biggest impact on their organizations, the people and the causes that they serve. Wonderful. Are, these, uh, are your members individuals or is it the organizations that join or is it both? Very much the individuals. So um, we are here for our leaders, our members as, as individual people. We do a lot of support. We do a lot of connection. So uh, one of the things I love about our membership is it's very generous. These are people who are very happy to talk to a peer, to share challenges, to, to talk about things that have gone wrong, to give suggestions and ideas for things that, that have gone well. And, and they're, they're a really brilliant bunch who are, are wanting to kind of support each other um, to, to be the best that they can be. So not just a great network, but also a very good uh, knowledge sharing platform. Absolutely, absolutely. And we also do quite a lot of work around um, kind of advocacy work, if you like, both influencing, trying to influence kind of government and media and and kind of 
system shapers and, and makers, but also um, within the within the sector itself, it, within our sector, we want it to be, we don't just want the leaders to be as good as they can be, but we want the sector to be at the forefront of, of, of positive ways of doing things. So you, you mentioned at the beginning that, um, uh, I'm, you know, we, I'm going to be talking about a report we, we've done on, on racism in the sector, but we also look at kind of the culture of the sector and, and how we can, how we can demonstrate the values that we have as a sector both in what we do but also in the way we do it sure on the advocacy side philanthropy and the nonprofit world is very much getting a lot of coverage in the media both here in the uk and and globally there is something to be said also for having the voice of this sector put forward out there and um and and making sure that it's well understood by editors and journalists yeah, I think that's right because, I mean, for us, it's not about um, it's not just it's not really about the sector as such. It's actually about what the sector does, what what we what we deliver, and the the kind of things. And particularly now in the in the era of the pandemic that we're we're all going through, the value of what our sector does has has never been more visible and has never been more needed. You know, the the work, everything from feeding the homeless to community support and people with mental health and loneliness and supporting young people and also all the stuff all the good stuff that we're missing and that we want to come back like arts and sport and and um people getting together and and being together in their communities and you know we're a social creature aren't we sure. um humans and and so civil society is all about that kind of um, coming together as communities to to make make the world better in all sorts of different ways. So I think particularly in this time of um, of, of global crisis, the, the value of what we do, you know, really needs to shine through. Hmm. What's the feedback you're getting? You mentioned COVID nineteen and the pandemic, and uh, you have fourteen hundred uh, members, fourteen hundred CEOs, senior leaders. Are they in a state of panic? Are they feeling uh, optimistic about the future what, what what are you because obviously the financials of many of these uh charities particularly this the smaller ones are, are stretched to the limit yeah i think that's right so i wouldn't say panic but i would say concern there's certainly a lot of concern in the sector about you know about, about what the future holds the um the the demand for services and the things that that charities uh, and social enterprises deliver has has just gone through the roof at the same time as many income streams have have vanished. So you know a lot of fundraising events, uh, particularly uh, organisations that have community um, hubs where people come and maybe buy a cup of coffee or um, you know all those different or they, when they deliver training, you know maybe in first aid or or uh, whatever it might be. So a lot of the income streams have have been just cut off whereas demand for services has has gone through the roof. So there is concern within a lot of organisations about how sustainable they are. But there is hope in terms of how we can build back better after all of this, you know, how our organisations can be part of building a new a new world, if you like, and, and not going back to some of the old ways that we had before all of this, but trying to embed some of the values of, of civil society into into the new into the new world order, if you like. Yes, building back better is one of those things I keep on hearing uh, yeah. quite a bit, whether that's here in the UK or in South Africa or pretty much anywhere. In terms of your, your membership base, your your own model, because you are also a registered charity, uh, has, has this pandemic impacted you in terms of membership uptake or how you operate, how you were, because you, you do knowledge sharing, you, you impart skills, you, so, yeah. I mean... 
Yeah, so I mean, you know, obviously, when as soon as lockdown hit, we everything we do uh, went went online, and we my team have been absolutely brilliant at just um, transferring everything onto onto digital platforms. We do a lot of connecting of people, and we we like to do that, and I I think it's really powerful to do that face to face. It's amazing um, when you have people in a room together, the energy and the sort of serendipity of different connections and different people kind of meeting each other, and 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 we weren't sure how that would translate into an online environment, um, and certainly, you know, a lot of a lot of my members, I think, a lot of the world is is kind of zoomed out a bit at the moment. But sure. actually, um, still having those opportunities to engage and connect with people online has been absolutely brilliant. And and one of the things we found really positive about this is that uh, people don't have to travel; they don't have to you know leave the office and schlep across town or across the country to to, to meet other people. You can just be well in the comfort of your own uh, your own spare mm. room. Or kitchen and and engage with um, other like-minded people and peers from from across the country, just just uh, through through a through a digital space. So, in many ways, for us, it's been really positive. The engagement with our members has actually increased, and actually, our our membership um, renewal rate has has increased as well. People people are really seeing the value of being connected and being part of this um, uh, community um, in a time where they they need support and they need to hear what everybody's you know it's really helpful to hear what other people are thinking and doing when really everybody's making this up as they go along none of us have have been through this, this <laughs> sure situation sure before so it's really good to be able to say what are you doing about this and oh you're doing that that's interesting so yeah it, it's been you know ironically it's been really positive for us as an organization that is very good to hear what what does your program look like in a non-pandemic world what, what was it in terms of uh training sessions that you might have or conferences what, what would an average well, calendar we do, year we, look like we, would do, we did about well we did about 50, over 50 events a year wow. um we do one big annual conference but we do a lot of um we call them cheap co forums where we get together in a uh, we have seven different locations around the country so bristol london uh, manchester birmingham uh, Leeds, Newcastle and Cardiff and, and we would get people together sort of two, three, four times a year in those different areas to join, uh, come together, discuss, share, share challenges, hear about different topics um, that are relevant to their work. Um, and we do sort of various bits of, of leadership development training as well. We've now gone online and instead of an average of one a week, we're now doing about four, wow. four events a week. So we've, we've really massively increased um, the amount. Again, you know, hats off to my team who've been, been extraordinary with all of this. But now it's it's very much about we're still doing the, the knowledge sharing. So we might have webinars on the furloughing scheme and how that works for you as an organization or or how do you um, how do you engage with remote staff? Uh, but we also have opportunities for members to meet and talk about issues of governance. You know, what's happening with your board? How's your relationship with your chair? Um, what, how, are we, how are we changing our style of leadership and communication um, during this time? So there's a real kind of mixture of, of very kind of practical skills based, but also just sharing of, of our situations and, and our experiences. Wow. Is it a big team, small team? What's it look like? Small teams, 15, 15 of us. Uh, that's a lot well, of events. That's a lot of events. Slightly fewer full-time equivalent. We have a few part-timers as well. So, yeah, it's a good. It's a. It's a small but perfectly formed. Mm, but that's a lot of events and a lot of activity for just fifteen individuals. It is. It is. <laughs> it is. We do a lot of one-to-one work with our members as well. We we have a a, a member support service where people can, uh, we you know we do individual phone calls just 
to help them through different situations. So it's a real, it's a real hands-on, um, personal service that we offer. Before I let this slip by, if somebody's listening to this and interested in joining, what's the best website to, uh, to t- what's your website address? Oh, I'm glad you asked that, Alberto. Hmm. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. It is Akivo, which is A-C-E-V-O dot org dot U-K. And everything you need is on that. And that's open to CEOs and also to senior leaders, right? Individuals that's who it. are maybe. Yeah. So we have, a, we have an associate membership for people who are wanting to move into the chief exec role because, you know, part of what we um, want to see, obviously, is development of new leaders coming through into the sector. So we have a whole kind of program for, for people who are looking to move into that role as well. Great. Tell us a little bit about this report that you have coming out in a couple of days' time. Uh, home truths. Tell us a little bit about the insights and what what triggered it, and um, and what's uh, what's going to be out there. How people can get their hands on it if they're interested in in reading it. Yeah. So the answer the last first, you can get it. You'll be able to download it from our website, which is akivo.org.uk. And basically, this is a report that we've been working on for for over a year now with with a partner organisation called Voice for Change England, which is a, an organisation that works with communities and people in the black and minoritized ethnic communities and we did a big piece of research talking to BAME people working in the charity sector so we we, inter- we did a survey of over 500 people we interviewed um, 24, did 24 in-depth interviews both with pe- BAME people and with white leaders we did some round tables with system shapers and with race um, justice activists and we basically wanted to we know that diversity um, is important and we know that our sector believes in issues of kind of social justice and equity. But we also know that the experiences that um, people of colour have in our sector are not always what we would want them to be. So we really wanted to centre the voice of BAME people and really understand what their experiences are of working in our sector. Hmm. And what's been interesting that's come out of it is that while we know that um, you know racism, racism is is everywhere in our society. It is we are we we do operate in a structurally racist uh, world uh, fundamentally, um, and the charity sector is no different from that. We're not unique. We're not uniquely um, uh, special in that sense. Um, so we're neither worse nor better than any other sector. But given the kind of values that we have as a sector, we, we feel we should be better than that. We should we feel we should be able to live up to the kind of positive values that working in civil society means. And and that's why we called the report Home Truths. It's actually delivering some sort of fairly robust truth to particularly white leaders in our sector about how um, we are not we are falling short as a sector in in particularly areas of um, equity and inclusion. And and I think historically or, or, or recently, you know, the sector thinks that we have a problem with not enough people from BAME backgrounds being in the sector, but actually I don't think that is the fundamental problem. It's not just an absence of people. Um, we're finding that once they're in the sector, they're, they're not having a particular, you know, they're often not having a positive experience. They're often experiencing cultures or practices or norms that that actually disadvantage them and and in some cases um, cause cause harm so we really wanted this report to be a wake-up call to to white leaders particularly to say you know and actually the the timing of it of course with all of the 
all of the stuff that's going on with the racist killing of George Floyd and the, the massively disproportionate impact of COVID-19 on BAME communities, you know, this this is as timely as it's ever going to be. I mean, this this issue has been around for a long time, but the, the, the spotlight now is so strong on it that, that we feel it's really important that leaders need to, to act. What what prompted you to embark on this research uh, a year ago? What uh, was it? Was it feedback from your members? Was it uh, anecdotal evidence that maybe you spotted or? Well, we've been doing some work. We've been working. So I've been in Akiva for about three years, and not long after I started, um, my colleague um, Christiana Rickson, who's our head of policy, and I were, were talking about some of the key issues that we felt um, the sector needed to be taking a lead on rather than just um, following. And diversity, equity, and inclusion were were, were you know was was a really we felt was a really important part of that. And we we kicked off with um, working with another infrastructure body, the Chartered Institute of Fundraising, and we came up with um, some some principles, some leadership principles about how we need to address the problem of lack of diversity in our sector. And we came up with eight leadership principles, they're around things like acknowledging, acknowledging there's a problem, that's the first one, um, recognizing the role that leaders have in tackling the problem and creating change, um, and committing to targets to setting targets for um for diversity that's that off that we think needs to better reflect the population that we serve as a sector so we'd already started on that work and and we then thought we, we were talking to voice for change england our partners and actually there's a lot there's always a lot of talk when we talk about diversity in our sector because it's quite it's it's very white it is a white it's a very white sector that the voices you hear are often you know, predominantly white voices. So we wanted to to give space for people of colour to to be able to be heard about their experiences. So that was what sort of started it all off. We got some funding from the National Lottery Community Foundation and um, uh, and then and started on the work. Um, and yeah, so next week is the is the culmination of of you know a whole raft of of um, different. Well, it's the culmination of a whole chunk of work, but it's the beginning of another phase where we need to just embed this and really take it forward. Um, we have a we we worked with a, a, a panel of experts to to help us on this with with an advisory panel, mm-hmm. and there is uh, uh, there is still a sense within with people of color that, you know, I can't believe we're still talking about this. I can't believe we need another report to make the case for this. And, and so we, we, we're really, really keen that this doesn't just become another report. People go, oh, yeah, that's a, that's a challenge and pop it on the shelf. We have to use this as a as a, as a, uh, a further leaping off point for, for genuine action and change. How are you going to achieve that? How are you planning on uh, making sure that it's not just uh another document but actually it, it's a practical call to action as it were yeah well we have there's we have i mean it's a, it's a long report it is a long report but um there's just it's there's so much rich information in it uh, uh and we do have an executive summary so if anybody wants to uh, uh to access it you wouldn't have to it, it, it's all worth reading but uh, you can you can use you can look at the executive summary but we also have um, a number of recommendations for um for the sector as a whole for um chief execs and for funders um and and one of them is one of them is about particularly white leaders holding themselves accountable being accountable for this so there's there's a lot of anxiety within white leaders which i do understand about being they're 
fearful of speaking out because they might say the wrong thing. They might upset somebody. They might they might um, be criticised for doing not doing enough or for saying saying something that's not the right thing. And and actually, we, we have to get over that. We, we absolutely have to get over that. And and white leaders need to we need to educate ourselves. We need to understand much more about racism and and the kind of current anti-racist thinking and how and how we can how we can be genuine allies in this and i so i think there's there's something about education there's something about accountability um we think i mean and there are all sorts of practical recommendations like you know we should be publishing um ethnicity pay gap data uh we should be you know going back to those principles we should be uh, publicly stating targets, even if there are a range of targets, for how we're going to change our organisations. And we should be willing to be held accountable and, and not not let fear of saying the wrong thing stop us from speaking out when, when you know, we, we benefit as white leaders from from the kind of privilege and the structures that we, that we operate in. And so really we, we need to act and and make the change that needs to be made mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and is there much by way of um in this report is there much by way of looking at grantees and uh and whether funding tends to go to organizations that are primarily white or or any of that yeah um that's been that's been something we've been very vocal on um within particularly within the the covid19 uh situation but but also i mean Historically, organisations serving BAME communities and in particular BAME-led organisations um, serving BAME communities are uh, underserved in the funding arena. And we've been, um, along with many other infrastructure bodies, have been very vocal about calling for um, ring funds to funding for these communities, particularly within COVID, because they are so disproportionately affected there's a there's a uh, an organization called charity so white which has been calling for um particularly for this ring fenced funding to be to be delivered to these areas where it's most needed so yeah definitely within within this report we absolutely call for investment in and funding for bame led organizations for um for uh, actually we call for a transformation fund for actually funders to be willing to put money into diversity, equity, and inclusion work. You know, it, it would be it would be amazing if there was a kind of fund where people could apply to to, to do some of this work. And and we're particularly keen that when people are offering, often you know, usually BAME people are offering uh, their expertise, lived expertise, and how to address some of these things. They are paid properly paid. They're not just we don't just assume that it's their job to do this for free because um, surely in the end it benefits them. You know, we we believe really strongly that people should be paid for that work. So yeah, there's a whole there's a whole raft of stuff around that. We know that um, I know one of your podcast. Uh, mm-hmm. interviewees has been was Carol Mack at mm. the Association of Charitable Foundations and, and and I know that there's some really important work going on within the, the funding community in the UK about supporting um, uh, minorities, ethnic and black uh, organisations but there's still there's still a lot more to be done on that. Yeah, Carol Mack was a great guest on our show Let She's me a great ask woman. She is, she is and, and great organisation as well um, do you collaborate much with the Association of Charitable Foundations? Uh, yeah, so, or, yeah. Yeah. So, well, we're part of a. a, a at the moment, we're part of a, um, a coalition of um, of over fifty 
infrastructure bodies um, from all sorts of works of life, including a sort of and there's a kind of smaller group of 15 of us who who meet very regularly um, to represent the sector, particularly as they're around the COVID-19 um, crisis. And Carol is in that group, uh, uh, as are many other um, excellent people. There's some, I mean, you know, that's one of the reasons I wanted to come into the sector. There's some brilliant, brilliant people that work in the sector, and I and I feel very privileged to, to to be able to work with them on a on a daily basis. I mean, sometimes are. they drive me mad as well, obviously, but <laughs> most of the time uh, they are the most amazingly wonderful people. No, that's absolutely true. There's some remarkable individuals, and indeed, it can drive you mad uh, as well. <laughs> so I'm not going to dispute on that uh, on any, neither one of those. And internationally, I imagine there must be some sort of uh, organizations that are that you have a kinship with uh, elsewhere perhaps in the states or canada or is there is there much by how groups of ceos here in the uk engage with um with ceos elsewhere do you know there's very little to be honest oh. um we did we have we have worked with um with an organization in canada called imagine canada um who are a, a sort of uh, infrastructure body for um, the Canadian charity sector. Um, we don't. We don't have uh, great connections in the in the U.S. There is a a, a European, a Europe-wide organisation called Euclid who works with um, more social enterprise chief execs as well. That we um, actually was Euclid was sort of um, uh, born, I think, out of Akivo back in the day. This is well before my time. But so there are there are other bodies. But I I, I, I fear that um, particularly at the moment we're a little bit insular. Everybody is, you know, focusing very much in on on how we get through this mm. um, this particular crisis. But but I think you know there is definitely opportunity for more kind of global wow. uh, connection and and um, and sharing. Perfect. Well, there you go. If if you're listening to this podcast and you should be in North America, Latin America, Africa, wherever. Now you know there's somebody here in the UK who might be a good, uh, a good partner to uh, have a conversation with. How did you get into all of this, by the way? How did you end up being the CEO of Akiva? Well, in a very, very sort of roundabout route, really. I mean, my background um, for most of my career was in magazine publishing. Um, I, I started off as a a scientist. I was. I did applied physics at university, and then and then kind of fell into journalism. and And I worked for many years um, for a big uh, global publishing company called Haymarket Publishing. Sure. And I was, uh, which was owned by Michael Heseltine mm-hmm. and his family. Uh, our former deputy PM. Always and very, always very envious of his hair. He always had marvelous hair, marvelous hmm. hair. <laughs> and um, yeah, so I worked, I worked for for him and his organisation for about sixteen years. Um, on lots of different magazines, I started off as a journalist um, and then moved to um, moved into publishing what my what my husband calls the dark side. Um, he's a journalist, so anything to do with the money is obviously um, the dark side. Um, but I, I enjoyed I enjoyed the shift into publishing, so you know, running running the organ, running the the different um, products and so forth. Um, and you know, I had worked on all sorts of different things from hi-fi um, to horticulture. I worked in advertising and human resources and 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 I had a brilliant stint actually working in New York uh, where I was asked to go and launch a, a magazine about internet internet mm-hmm. uh, marketing um, wow. back in the day before the original internet bubble burst um, and then when I came back to the to the UK one of the titles I worked on was called Third Sector which is a trade sure. magazine for the charity sector here in the UK and um, I sort of fell in love with the people and the and the sector and, and having left Haymarket and done a little bit of 
freelance work when my kids were were, were little. I um I then went and, and looked for a job in the charity sector and and uh, found a found a role running an organisation similar to Akiva, which is called Charity Comms, which was for communications professionals and charities. And I and I worked there for about six years, and then and then as it were, moved up the organogram to to working with GPZX. I, I love. I love networks. I love connecting people. That's the sort of one of the, the things that really um, excites me. Uh, so that's where I've ended. I share your passion on that. I think uh, the, the networking side, and I say it in the nicest possible way, there's so much that can be gained by exchanging notes on what works and what doesn't work with individuals who are in similar predicaments to, to what you might be facing. Yeah. I, I think that's great. It's really powerful. I think it's really powerful. Yeah. And I imagine with this whole... Um, well, I, I, I can see that there's going to be a lot more going on online than what we've seen before. And um, your events might look, these 50 events might look very different uh, if we're having another podcast in a year or two. Yeah, absolutely. Well, now, as at the moment, it's, it's about 120 now, but yeah. <laughs> there you go. There you go. And in terms of the next 10 years, so that dovetails nicely with the Sustainable Development Goals for 2030. What would success look like to you? In the next 10 years if we're having another podcast or a coffee in 10 years time what would you like to be looking back on and saying wow we did this i'm very happy well i mean, i find this slightly challenging I, I find the next 10 months um a bit opaque um so the next sort of decade i i, I find yeah. um you know quite quite a challenge to, to think through but one of the things i i thought about with that was was um when in the uk we had a general election uh, last year uh, in December and um, at that time we uh, Akivo we developed a manifesto for all the political parties um, our, our strap plan is imagine um, in, inspire improve it's all about how we can imagine a better world inspire others to to kind of improve the things around us and so we, we created a manifesto called imagine better um, and this was we identified seven values that we think the our, our civil society, our sector is rooted in um, both in the way we operate and the way we work and, and our ideas for the future. Um, and the seven values are sustainability, safety, equity, dignity, opportunity, community and love. And when we developed those when we thought about those values, there was there was a sort of a little bit in, within the team was sort of thinking, oh, it's a bit wishy washy, isn't it? We can't can we really talk about things like love and and dignity and is that is that what we want to do? And then we thought, yeah, actually these are not wishy washy words. These are strong, important words. These are words that um, really need to define how we how we act as leaders and how we act as a society. And, and so that was something we we called on whoever uh, became our new government to to. To, to, to commit to rooting their work in these values. Um, and so I think, I suppose if, if, if I wanted to look back over the next, you know, look back on the last 10 years um, from our coffee uh, in a decade, I'd want, to, I'd want to be able to see that some of those things did, did take root um, in, you know, in everything from, um, you know, ensuring that people are no longer homeless, um, ensuring that, as a world, we're not still facing the the challenge of the climate crisis, but we've actually acted to to undo some of the damage that's already been done. Um, and things like you know artistic creativity is is encouraged, and and people have 
the, the freedom to live and love and worship uh, in safety wherever they are and wherever they come from. So there's a whole kind of raft of things like that, which I think come out of those uh, come out of those values. And I think that's that's what I would like to I'd hope that we will see uh, when we come out of all this and we say, you know, back to that thing we talked about, building back better. You know, how can we use these kind of values to to create a better, more equal, more just um, and and happier society? Well, good for you. I'm looking forward to that coffee in 2030. <laughs> <laughs> the um, What's the key takeaway that you'd love for our audience to keep in mind after they finish listening to today's episode? What's that key thing that you you think would be great for them to uh, keep in mind? Well, I mean, I, I think leading on from that, you know, charities, our sector, the, the organizations that I work with, they were created by people who who want things to be better, who, who, uh, who imagine a better world, whether that's, you know, tackling injustices or, or engaging young people with art and sports. So, you know, this, I suppose my, what I'd like people to do to, to think is that as leaders, we need to, we need to imagine better to create a better world. So let's not be limited in our imagination for what things could be. Let's think big and then um, work collectively to to move towards achieving some of those bigger, bolder visions. Absolutely perfect. Vicky, it has been an absolute pleasure having you on the Do One Better podcast today. And to our listeners, thank you so much for listening. As always, you've been listening to Vicky Browning, who is the chief executive of Akivo. And for all of you who are interested in learning a little bit more about the report Home Truths, just visit their website. I believe the report will be up and running and live for download on the 17th of June, 2020. Vicky, wonderful having you on the show, really. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Do One Better podcast. If you want to find out more about our show, about our guests, additional links and resources, visit our website at liji.org. That's L-I-D-J-I dot org. And don't forget, success at the Do One Better podcast is about inspiring you to be more philanthropic, to think more about sustainability, and to embrace social entrepreneurship. Hopefully, these stories will encourage you to take action and change the world around you for the better. For the better.